2012 Terry Tucker was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer called acral lentiginous melanoma, which presented on the bottom of his foot. By the time the melanoma was detected, it had metastasized to a lymph node in his groin. Because the cancer was so rare only about 6,500 people are diagnosed with this form of malignancy in the US each year. He was treated at the world-renowned MD Anderson Cancer Center. He had two surgeries to remove the tumors, and after he healed, Terry was put on a weekly injection of the drug, interferon, to help keep the disease from coming back. Sit tight and enjoy this interview with Terry Tucker. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome. We are back again for another episode. Oh, I am so glad to be back again and a privilege to be alive again, to be able to do in this show. And as you know, ladies and gentlemen, every week we have special guests coming on to talk to us all over the world, sharing their life experiences, their testimonies, and the dramas that they've been through and how they've overcome. And today we do have a wonderful guest with us today who's got a very powerful story to share with us and you about his life. And obviously, so what we're going to do, go straight into it, ladies and gentlemen. So, um... Terry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trevor. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, Terry. Um, obviously, like I said earlier on, it's snowing over here. Two days of snowing in the UK. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it's snowing, but it looks beautiful when you look at the, the way it settles on the earth. It's so beautiful to look at. Just like life, you know, it's all how you look at it. <laughs> Absolutely. The view of how you see things. That's right. Yes, uh, Terry. Uh, we have Terry Tucker with us. And uh, Terry, for the sake of our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing, and then we'll move further into the show. Sure. Um, so I am the oldest of three boys. I am six foot eight, and I played basketball in college. I have a brother who is uh, six foot seven, who pitched, uh, was a pitcher on the baseball team at the University of Notre Dame. And then I have another brother who is six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association over here. And then my dad was 6'5". So if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayer's chance you were going to see anything that was going on whatsoever. So athletics, specifically basketball, was an important part of my life growing up. And, and as I said, I attended college at the, at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, here in the U.S., um, despite having three knee surgeries in high school. When I graduated from college, I moved home um, to find a job. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college, and I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained you know, business administration degree. And I, I look back on that and realize what, a, what a, a knucklehead I was in terms of, you know, I didn't know anything about business just because I'd gone to college. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, I was able to find that, that first job. It was with uh, the hamburger chain, Wendy's International. Um, and unfortunately, I, was, I had to live with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my grandmother and my father, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, my wife and I have been married for over 27 years. We have one daughter. She's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a lieutenant in the United States Space Force. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. 
Okay, I think I might join you in this journey because uh, you said basketball. I'm a basketball fan as well from United Kingdom, and my team is Boston Celtic. You love the Celtics, eh? They're a great team. <laughs> I love the Celtics. Oh, that's a wonderful starting of this interview. We've got two people who are the same club we fans. That's fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, obviously, your life growing up, you said you was not really business knowledge, but you took the, the commitment to go out there and look for work. Was it something you were pressurized to do or did you feel you had to do it? You know, I, I didn't feel I had to do it. I, I, I wanted to do um, my calling, my passion, whatever you want to call it. Um, I always felt was law enforcement. My, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer, you know, from 1924 to 1954. So in the United States, that was a time during prohibition where alcohol was was not allowed to be consumed and also a time where we had a lot of gang violence in Chicago with with the Italian gangs the Jewish gangs and things like that so my grandfather was a police officer during that time and and I didn't know him very well he died when I was like seven years old but my grandmother his wife lived well until I was in college so I used to hear the stories from her so my passion was law enforcement but my dad was opposed to me ever going into law enforcement. He remembered my grandfather, his father, being shot in the line of duty. It was a, a non-life-threatening injury. He was shot with his own gun in the ankle, taking a murder suspect back to, to jail. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to be in law enforcement, but my dad was just so opposed to it that I did what every good son did. I, I waited until my dad passed away before I, I, I started to follow my passion. I mean, that's a little bit of a joke, but it really was kind of the way, way it was. So I, I wanted to be a cop. I, I, I loved being a cop, but it was something I did much later in life. I didn't become uh, a police officer until I was 37 years old, which is pretty old to kind of get into that kind of field. Right. Okay. And the reason why I ask that is because every family we tend to find, the mother and father always have a desire you to be a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever. But the moment you say you want to be something else, they seem to have obligations against it. So um, family do have some certain challenges. But for you, it was a lifestyle that you felt, okay, my family and my mom were very supportive. You end up being in, involved in the police force. Um, so tell us from there, what was your thoughts about being in the police force and then was it your intention of moving on forward? Um, it was. I, like I said, I became a rookie police officer when I was 37 years old and um, I had started, you know, it's kind of a funny story. My wife had, had met me and we got married when I was working in uh, healthcare administration, working for a large hospital in Ohio. And, you know, I was pretty much a, a suit and tie Monday through Friday you know, eight to five kind of guy. And after we'd been married a little while, we were living in California and I, I saw this advertisement for uh, a class offered at, at Santa Barbara City College to get your certification to be a reserve police officer. So I remember one night at dinner, I was kind of nervous about bringing that up to her. And I'm like, hon, I'd like to try this. What do you think? And, and my wife was, has always been incredibly supportive of me. And she said, you know what, if you want to try, go ahead and do it. So I took the class. I, I got on with the Santa Barbara Police Department, and I absolutely loved it. I would work my regular job all week, and then Friday night I would come home, 
put on my uniform, go to roll call and, and work until like seven o'clock the next morning. And I'd come home exhausted, but my wife would always say, you always came home with this big smile on your face. Like you had, you know, you had found what you were supposed to do with your life. So I, when we moved to Ohio, after our daughter was born, I, I went back to her again and I said, you know, I, I kind of like to do this full time. And, and so I did. And, and I worked, you know, I ran a beat, a, a particular area for, for about four and a half years. Then I went undercover. I, I was a drug investigator, bought drugs and, and, and did that kind of stuff. And I was also on the SWAT team and I was a hostage negotiator. So I kind of drank deeply from that cup. I, you know, there was a lot I wanted to do and, and I did it and I felt fulfilled and it was just absolutely, for me, it, it was what I was supposed to do. I really think it's what God put me on this earth to do. Absolutely. And I think it's everybody's dream to have a, a startup with a good career and a successful lifestyle, but it's also important to enjoy what you're doing. I think that's where you kind of came in, Terry. It is. I, I mean, I, I had had other jobs before and, and I just wasn't fulfilled. I, 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 didn't, I didn't get up in the morning saying, boy, I can't wait to go to work. And I did that as a police officer. I, I couldn't wait. What are we going to get into today? You know, how can I help people today? What, you know, I, I, was, I was inspired and I, and I wasn't inspired through the careers or the jobs that I had taken prior to becoming a police officer. So, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't doing good work. It was just that I wasn't inspired. And I really, I just didn't believe in my heart that that's what I was supposed to be doing. And, and I've always, when I talk to people, I talk to groups, I always tell people, you know, you'll know your passion, you'll know your purpose, mm -hmm. because you'll want to get up in the morning and go do it. It won't be, oh gosh, I got to go to work tomorrow morning. You know, it'll be, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. And if you can find that job, if you can find that, that passion, that career, then you will be immeasurably happier than if you're just working a job that you really don't have a passion for. Absolutely, I, I agree with you. And I'm sure our listeners out there are probably thinking that's the attitude they need today. And again, Terry, your life and your story surely will have an effect on our listeners today on that attitude, getting up in the morning and going to something what you love. But Terry, what I want to go on to now is I looked at your story, a uh, very fascinating story, and I call you a, a warrior. Um, in terms of you went through, you're one of the cancer survivors. So um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I, I think in, in my life, and I, I've had some challenges, <clears throat> excuse me, but in 2012, I, I certainly had the greatest challenge of my life when I was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, a, a melanoma that presented on the bottom of my left foot. By the time that excuse me, by the time the cancer was detected, it had spread to a lymph node in my groin. And because my form of cancer is so rare, there were only about 6,500 people in the US that get this form of cancer every year. It was recommended that I go be treated at, at MD Anderson Cancer Center, which is in Houston, Texas. And, and people come from all over the world to be treated at MD Anderson. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing hospital if, if you have cancer. And I want your audience to understand that what I'm going to describe to you is what I experienced during my cancer journey. I realize there are thousands and thousands of people out there who are suffering terribly with their diseases, whether those diseases be mental or physical. 
and I make no claims to have the market cornered on suffering, but one thing I've learned during my cancer journey is that suffering is one of life's greatest teachers. Mm -hmm. So at MD Anderson, I had two surgeries to remove the tumor and all the lymph nodes in my groin and a skin graft to close the wound on the bottom of my foot. And after I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. Interferon, at least for me, was a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. And I took those weekly interferon injections for four years and seven months before the medication became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees, which mm. usually is not compatible with being alive. But while I was on the interferon, it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. So imagine having the flu every week for almost five years. And that's kind of what I went through. I, I lost 50 pounds during my therapy. I used to say that I was so skinny that I could probably go hang gliding on a Dorito, you know, one of those chips and stuff like that. And, and I was just, you know, I, I had flu symptoms. I was constantly nauseous, fatigued, and chilled. My ability to taste food diminished, uh, and my body continually ached. And this misery went on for over 1,660 days. And one thing I learned during all my pain and suffering is that you have two choices. You can succumb to the debilitating discomfort and misery, or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and a better human being. I chose the latter. Um, but please understand, there were days that literally I felt so horrible, felt so poorly, was in so much agony that I literally prayed to die. I just wanted out of this life. Mm -hmm. Each day was a struggle to use my mind to override the apathy and the distress that my body was feeling. Mm -hmm. Now, I realize that pain and discomfort can beat you to your knees and keep you there if you let it. Mm -hmm. But I also came to appreciate that I could use my pain and suffering to make me a stronger and more determined individual. Yeah. I was no better at dealing with pain and discomfort than the next person, but I found a way to survive every day with the knowledge that I'd need to do it again the following morning. Unfortunately, my cancer experience, this isn't a, I, I wish it was for your audience, a feel-good kind of story. Um, the melanoma that had plagued me since 2012 returned in 2017, and eventually my only treatment option was the amputation of most of my left foot, which occurred in January of 2018. The cancer returned again in 2019, requiring two additional surgeries. Uh, and then in 2020, um, earlier in the year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle mm. uh, grew large enough to fracture my tibia, my shin bone, and that led to the amputation of my leg above the knee. And then further testing revealed that I have multiple tumors in my lungs, and I've been on a uh, a clinical trial drug for several months now, uh, trying to deal with that. But my oncologist is, is not real optimistic about my future longevity. Mm -hmm. But I refused, I just refused to be a victim to this malignancy. You know, mm -hmm. I vowed to continue my fight. I knew the only way that cancer could win is if I gave up or I gave into the disease or it killed me. Right. Now, Terry, um, you mentioned <laughs> the cancer within your foot. Is there a specific name for that cancer? For the sake of our listeners. So um, 
melanoma is the type of cancer. And, and again, you know, when, when you get cancer, you probably learn more about the disease than you really wanted to know. Mm -hmm. So what I found out is, you know, for, for most of us, melanoma is kind of a mole or something on our skin that, that we see where we go to the dermatologist and, okay, you, you need to have that cut off. There's a second form of melanoma, <clears throat> excuse me, that is what I had. And that appears on the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands. And it can also appear in your nail beds. So your fingernails or your toenails in, in the beds there. Mm -hmm. And then there's even a rarer form of melanoma that uh, can present in your mucous membrane. So in your nose or your mouth or something like that but all three of them fall under the melanoma category. So, um, you know, I, I laugh because I, I never spent my, my childhood, you know, out sunning myself with my feet up in the air, you know, tanning the bottom of my feet. And yet I have this disease that technically is, is, is a sun exposure disease. Although I have asked my oncologist and, and the response I get is we really don't know why it presents on the hands or the bottom of the feet. Uh, we think it might have something to do with a trauma that you may have experienced, but mm -hmm. I can't honestly recall having any kind of a trauma to, to that portion of my foot. So I, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about why it happened. It did happen, so it's just something that I have to deal with. Absolutely, and I think you mentioned about you were not willing to give up you were determined to take the phase of, you know what, this cancer is here, but I'm fighting for my life. What kind of things did you have to change? For example, did you have to change your diet, the food you're eating, or is there anything specifically in order to be on top of this? I think for me, the, the biggest part, the biggest change, uh, although I did change my diet a little bit, I, I really tried to, to cut out excess sugar and things like that. Um, you know, when I used to get a PET scan, um, which was a, just a diagnostic tool of my body, and they would inject radioactive sugar into my body and then scan it. And I, I kind of asked them, I'm like, well, what's the deal with the radioactive sugar? And they're like, well, cancer cells have a higher metabolism than other cells. So they will take up the radioactive sugar at a faster rate than your other cells. And I thought, well, if you're, if you're injecting me with radioactive sugar that I know is going right to the cancer, it's probably a good idea if I change my diet so that I don't have as much cancer or I don't have as much sugar in my diet uh, to feed the cancer, so to speak. But for me, the, the physical part of it, um, you know, I could, I could deal with the pain. It was, it was the mental aspect. And, mm -hmm. and I have a post-it note on my desk that actually I'm looking at right now that I see every day. Mm -hmm. And it has three statements on it, three sentences on it. And, and I'll just tell you what these sentences are because they, they are really kind of my truths at this point in my life. Mm -hmm. And the first one is you need to control your mind or your mind will control you. Mm -hmm. The second one is embrace your pain and suffering and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. And the third one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've learned how, and, and I wish I could write a book on how I did this. I, I don't know how I did it, but I've learned to take pain and turn it inside. You know, most people want to run from it, get away from it. I don't want pain. Right. For me, it's like, okay, I got pain. You know, here we go. I lost a leg. I lost a foot. 
-hmm. Here we go. It's painful. Take that pain, turn it inside, and use it as fuel or energy to make you stronger, to make you tougher, to make you more determined to, to fight this disease. And, and that's what I do. You know, the more pain you're going to give to me, the more I'm going to use that as fuel to try to make me stronger. Uh, absolutely. Now, this, this is very powerful because we tend to hear everybody say the mindset, the mindset. The problem is a lot of people hear it, but they don't understand the process or what they have to do or how they can do that. Now, from your experience, Terry, when you say the mindset, for anybody listening out there who may have cancer, who may have some chronic illnesses or et cetera, what is the mindset and what is the process that you took in order to control this cancer? So again, I mean, I wish I could say it was, you know, A, B and C. It wasn't, it really wasn't that, uh, that easy. I, I believe that we're all designed, we're all born to live an uncommon and extraordinary life. And we're, we're here for a reason. We hear, we're here for a purpose. But let's face it, we all know people that, that that's not the case. They don't live that uncommon and extraordinary life. Mm -hmm. So what's preventing them from doing that? What's the obstacle? And when you think about it, the obstacle, it, it's us. You know, we're, we're, we're the people that are preventing us from, from leading that uncommon and extraordinary life. I mean, and let's face it, our brains, they're hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. Mm -hmm. To our minds, the status quo is comfortable and familiar and should be left alone. Let, let's just take a quick example of, say, somebody who's looking for a new job. We all know people who are stuck in dead-end positions, and these people should have been working somewhere else years ago. But for some reason, they continue to stay right where they're at. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I'd suggest it's because every time they decide to find new employment, their brain kicks in and starts pointing out all the reasons that they should stay right where they are. You know, things like, hey, you're making good money and you're accustomed to the routines here and the work's easy. And you know what? You go somewhere else, you might not get along with your coworkers at that new company. Mm -hmm. Whatever the, the reason to the brain a new job presents all types of uncertainty and uncomfortableness. Mm -hmm. If you're in a job that you can't stand and it would make sense for you to explore new opportunities, your brain is going to fight you on that. Mm -hmm. The problem with most people, and, and this I think is really important. I, I dedicated a whole chapter in my book to this. Right. The problem with most people, and I've done this, is they think with their fears and their insecurities instead mm -hmm. of using their minds. We don't like to live in an uncomfortable state, but that's the only place where real growth can occur. I was a high school basketball coach when I was, was living in Texas, and I used to constantly remind my players that they needed to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. The only way we can grow, the only way we can push past our comfort zones is to do what we find unpleasant and undesirable. It's in those painful, difficult, and sometimes embarrassing moments that real growth can occur. Now, I'm going to date myself really bad now. you show you how old I am. But back <laughs> in 1976, okay. there was a United States gold medal winning Olympic swimmer by the name of Shirley Babishaw. Mm -hmm. And she had one of the greatest quotes that I ever heard. And this is what she said. She said, winners 
think about what they want to happen and losers think about what they don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. Winners can override their brains and focus on the things that they want to occur. Whereas losers, they focus on the negative aspects of competition and they're not able to see the positive qualities of pursuing a goal or a dream. Mm -hmm. Most people will never get to where they want to be because they won't stop whining and complaining about where they're at. Mm -hmm. If you want to live an uncommon and extraordinary life, and I believe everybody should want that, the only way to make that happen is to embrace the uncomfortable and continue to do the things that you don't want to do and that you know, just make you uncomfortable. To become successful, your purpose has to be bigger than your pain. And I'll, and I'll end this with a quick, a quick story. And, and I try to illustrate this by, by giving a, this concept. If you were to go to a gymnasium and pick up a 10 pound weight and do arm curls, but you didn't find that movement difficult, then that muscle will never grow. Mm -hmm. However, if you go to that same gym, pick up that same 10 pound weight and do arm curls until you exhaust that muscle and you can't do another repetition, then you're stressing that muscle. And as a result, it will grow and get stronger. That same tactic works with your mind. If you stress or push your mind by doing uncomfortable things, it will grow, it will develop, and you will become a stronger and more resolute individual. Absolutely, Terry. I agree with you 100%. Um, we do tend to have a lot of challenges from people outside of that who say, well, I don't believe it's going to work. I don't understand it. <laughs> I, I, this is the way I am, that's normal. But away from what people are saying, Terry, is the fact that do you believe that changing your mindset is a result of you fighting back this cancer to be where you are, are today? Or was it more to do with the physical support that you're getting got you where today? What would you say it was for the sake of our listeners? I don't think I can separate those two. I think those two are, are really congruent with each other. I, I mean, I needed my mind to be working for me instead of against me. I, I mean, my mind, your mind, all our minds, they know our fears, they know our vulnerabilities, they know our insecurities, and they will use those against us unless we, as I said before, control our minds or our minds will control us. So I think the mental aspect of fighting cancer or, or anything, you know, I mean, it could be you, you want to lose weight or you want to get in better shape or, you know, you want to relax and, and get rid of some of the stress in your life, whatever the reason. I mean, what I'm, what I'm describing is, is my cancer journey, but I think these things can be used for other things in addition to, you know, like I said, weight loss, better shape, you know, stress re reduction, whatever you want. I think that's important. But Without the, the support of my family, of my wife and my daughter, I, there's no doubt in my mind right now that I would be dead. Uh, I mean, they have, they have been there for me. They have pulled me out of the depths of, of hopelessness and helplessness. And I, I think the, the two of them working together, a positive mindset and a positive support system have really helped me to get to the point where I am today with my cancer. And, and I'm I'm nine years into a disease that they didn't think I would last five years with. Mm. So mm. I, I, and, and I, yes, part of that was me, but a big part of that was my support system as well. Right. Now, Terry, 
this is going to be something that I felt when you were talking. Do you think where you are today, what you are doing, surprised you about you? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When, when, I, when the, the leg uh, broke and I had to have it amputated and the tumors were in the lungs, I was pretty much of, uh, you know what, I, 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 I'm done. I, I don't want to do chemotherapy. I don't want to, you know, go down this route. And uh, we've always been a very close family. So we kind of had a family meeting and, and I got outvoted two to one by my wife and daughter that, you know, hey, you're, you're going to do this and, and, it, and it's important. And I, I look at other people who aren't nearly as sick or aren't nearly, uh, haven't been through as much as I have, who have died, who have, you know, gone out. So I, I really you know, it kind of surprises me sometimes every day. I really think God has a, you know, he's not done with me yet. You know, there, there's something else that, or, or, or many other things that he wants me to do. Um, I, I, I've talked before about, I, I wrote a book last year and literally I wrote this book from the time that I had my leg amputated in April to the time I started um, chemotherapy in June. So I, I wrote this book in about three months. And, and I always say I wrote it, but I really feel it was inspired by God. I think I was kind of like, just be quiet and, and write down what I tell you to write down kind of thing. You know, I, I mean, it wasn't that uh, there's kind of an old joke that says, you know, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When, when God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. You know, I, I mean, it, it, it's not a good joke, but it, it, it is a joke. And, and I, you know, I never had heard voices or anything like that, but I, I'd never written a book before. And it, I think it was important that God was like, you know what, you're going to write this book. We're going to get it out there and we're going to hopefully help as many people as we possibly can with it. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of, kind of where I was with it. Absolutely. I think it's answered it very, very much because in people's situation, there's a lot of potential that comes out that we never realized was there. Um, and it developed so well, we're like, wow, why didn't I see this 10 years ago? Why didn't I see this five years ago? Um, so that's why I asked the question, has it surprised you? And you have answered it because you've now written a book. You never thought you would write a book, but that tells me that you are able to write a book, but you weren't aware it was there over time. So in terms of your survival, I can see very clearly you're on a mission. And I'd like to know a little bit more about, from your perspective, do you believe you're on a mission? And if so, what is that mission about? Oh, absolutely. I, 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 there is, there's no doubt, <laughs> no doubt in my mind at all that, that, that I am on a mission, that there's, there's some force, something bigger than me that, that's kind of pushing me. And, and I really feel at, at this point in my life that, that my purpose is, you know, my purpose before was, being in law enforcement. And, and I think my purpose now is helping people find their why or their passion in life. I, I recall a, a quote from Mark Twain, one of, one of our, our great authors over here in the US who said, the two most important days of our lives are the day we're born and the day we figure out why. Mm -hmm. And when I speak with groups, I, a lot of times I'll ask them this question, do you have any idea why you were put on this earth? And sometimes I'll take that a step further and ask them, you know, do you know why you were born at this time? Why weren't you born 5,000 years ago or 50,000 years in the future? 
there's a reason that you and I were born. And that reason involves finding and living our purpose. As I said before, I believe we're all destined to live uncommon and extraordinary lives. And that has absolutely nothing to do with what kind of job we have, how much money we make, what, where we live, what kind of car we drive, et cetera. We are not all born with the same gifts and talents, mm -hmm. but we all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. Mm -hmm. The problem is, as I see it, most people take an unintentional approach to living. Mm -hmm. And by living a casual life, their dreams, their goals, their ambitions become a casualty of that unplanned living. During the eight years that, well, almost nine years now, I guess, that I've been battling cancer, I've had plenty of time to think about my own death. And after I die, I can't imagine standing in the presence of our creator, whoever or whatever you believe that entity to be, and being unable to account for the gifts and the talents that I was born with and that I didn't use to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. You know, during my life, I've unfortunately seen many people die. And it's been my experience that the people who die, probably what you and I would call peaceful deaths, are those people who utilize their time on this earth to find and live their purpose. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, that many of the people who we've probably seen go kicking and screaming from this world, you know, who want another day or another week or another month or whatever it is, they never did anything with their lives. They never saw the urgency of living their uncommon and extraordinary purpose. They never took a chance on their dreams. They never took the time to figure out who they were, why they were here, and what they were supposed to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. It's been said that the wealthiest places on earth are our cemeteries because mm -hmm. their areas rich in businesses never started, books never written, relationships never pursued, and dreams never realized. Mm -hmm. There's a, a, a really great Native American Blackfoot proverb that I love that I heard years ago. Mm -hmm. And it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Mm -hmm. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. Mm -hmm. The only way to find your purpose is to search it out, to try things that make you uncomfortable, to fight against the status quo, to experience things that, in all honesty, scare you. Mm -hmm. Finding your why or your purpose is important because it's the reason that you were born. And the only way to discover that reason is to be open to it and search for it with your heart. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Terry Tucker with us online. What a powerful story. And I'm sure many of you on here listening were probably in a situation where you might have loved ones or family who's got cancer. This is an opportunity to tune in to this radio show with Terry Tucker. Now, Terry, when you were talking, what came to my mind is it used to be my favorite film um, called Bionic Man. Sure. You know, that was probably in the 60s, right? 70s, right? Something 60s, like that. 70s, I think. Yeah, 70s. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. 70s. You remind me of Bionic Man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what came to my mind. I'm like, wow. You know the story of Barnett Man. Any time injury, he would get fixed up and he's back on the track again. Right. You know, it would no like, oh, I can't do it no more. Uh, I haven't got time. He was so determined to get back out there to set his own life free, his family free, the public free, and other people who are going through situations. He was always out there. Now, Barnett Man played a very significant part in changing people's life. And I believe you're doing that, Terry. 
I truly I, believe you're doing that in a bionic way, <laughs> <laughs> writing a digital book uh, that's going to be giving out there to people to follow your story. Now, tell us a little bit about the book. Who is the book for and what is the main message in your book? Sure. So the book is called um, Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And it's really a book that's, that was born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a player on, uh, a former player from my basketball team who moved to Colorado where my wife and I live. And we had had dinner with her and her boyfriend. And I, I was talking to her, I said, I'm really excited to watch you uh, find and live your purpose. And she kind of got quiet and she was like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? And I said to her, I don't know what your purpose is. That's what your life should be about, finding that purpose and then living that purpose. Mm. And I, I kind of think I, I bowled her over a little bit. You know, she, she really wasn't ready for that. And, and she got real quiet and, and kind of was internalizing the whole thing. So, so that was one conversation that I had. And the other conversation was with a young man who had reached out to me on LinkedIn, and he wanted to know what I thought were the things that he should know to not only be successful in business, but also successful in life. Mm. And I didn't want to, you know, I thought about this for a while. I just didn't fire something back. And, and I, I, I didn't want it to be the sort of standard or generic, you know, work hard, help others show up early kind of stuff. I wanted, I wanted to go deeper. I wanted it to be something that, that got to, to your heart, to your soul. And, I started writing some notes down and, and eventually the notes became the, these 10 principles. And, and as I mentioned earlier, one of them was, and, and, and again, I've been guilty of this. You know, I make decisions based on my fears and insecurities instead of using my mind. And, and, I, and that's one of the chapters in the book. So, it, you know, I, I think it's a book for younger people, but just last week I had an 87 year old man tell me, gee, I wish I would have had those, those principles when I was growing up because they would have been helpful to me. Mm -hmm. So I, I really kind of think it's a, it's a generic, it, it, you know, you, in marketing, you want to kind of have your target market. And, and I, I, like I said, I think God was kind of like, just write the book. I'll deal with the marketing part of it, you know? And, and I kind of joke about that, but it, it, really, it really was something that, that I felt was important to do. And, and from everybody who's read it, they take something away from it. Like, you know, I want to, I want to make a change based on what you said, or, you know what, I'm doing this and it, and it's good. And I want to do more of it and, and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, it, it came out, it just came out the end of October of last year and, and it's available on, on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and Apple iBooks and, and, and just about any place you can get a book. It's, it's available. Fantastic. Because, um, I mean, I have a couple of friends who did have cancer, uh, members of family had cancer. And I look at some of the books and a lot of the books was mostly adulthood books, but nothing for the younger generation. Um, so, because what we're discovering now is we're having babies now who are ending up with cancer. Family turmoil of going through having their child with cancer. And then the teenagers as well. So. What I want to ask you is, do you think there's enough awareness about this kind of disease in the United States? 
is there enough awareness? There's about, enough awareness if you if you're open to being aware of it. And, and, and yes. that's kind of a, a back-ended way of answering that. I, yes. I mean, things like cancer or, you know, having my foot amputated, my leg amputated, there were a lot of people that got scared because of that. And, mm -hmm. and scared to the point where they, they moved away. They I, not, not physically moved away, but, you know, weren't connected with me as well. And, and, and I remember, and, and I, again, I, 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 don't, I don't have any golden, you know, parachute here, but I remember saying this. And, and when I got cancer, it really bothered me because, you know, when you get cancer or, you know, somebody's going in the hospital for a surgery, excuse me, or something like that, what do, what do people always say to them? Hey, if you need anything, just let me know. Yeah. And that to me is the biggest cop out in the world. It's like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go through this major life event and you want me to tell you how you can help me. Well, guess what? All the things that you're doing at your house, taking out the garbage, having to go to the grocery store, cutting the grass, taking the dog for a walk, et cetera. Those are the same things that have to get done at my house with mm -hmm. my family. Mm -hmm. And I remember after my first surgery, I was not hospitalized. I was able to come home after right after the surgery. And I had a really good friend, um, who was in his 90s. He'd been in World War II, served over in France. And he, I, my cell phone rang and he's like, hey, can I come over for a few minutes? I know you just got home from the hospital. Just give me 10 minutes. I, I, I want to come over and give you something. And he had gone and bought us a fully cooked chicken and Danish for breakfast th the next morning. He didn't ask how he could help us. Mm -hmm. He just got involved. And, and what bothers me is people that sit on the sidelines and watch the game and try to pretend that they're actually playing in it. Mm -hmm. You're not playing it. You want to play in the game, then get in the game, get in there mm -hmm. and go do something to help that family, to help that person. And okay. so I, I think it's incredibly important that, you know, yeah, I get that, that this is scary stuff and people don't like to think about people having cancer and maybe dying and stuff like that. Well, I got news for you. We're all going to die. But, I'll, but the, the, the flip side of that is we're not all going to live. Mm. And, you know, we're all going to die, but we're not all going to live. So do something. Get involved in other people's lives to help them. Because I promise you, if you do that, you will live your life. Mm -hmm. You won't just exist. You won't just sit on the sidelines and pretend you're playing. You'll actually feel good about yourself. Mm. I, I like what you just said there, Terry. Um... What I want to ask you, what is it that makes you feel good that our listeners need to know? What's the best well, thing you can take away from this that makes you really feel good? Love. Love, prayers, things like that. I, I mean, I, really my goal for whatever time I've got left is to put as much positive, um, positive vibes, whatever you want to call it, or as, po as much love back into the world as I possibly can. You know, as a police officer, I, I saw a lot of, of helplessness and hopelessness. And you wish you could do something, but you know, you're there for 15, 20, 30 minutes to try to solve a problem that has been, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the making. You're, you're not going to make a difference. It's, it's like putting the finger in the dike, you know, to try to stop the water from coming through. You, you do the best you can and you move on. So whatever time I have left, if I can help people and, and being on your show, I, I greatly appreciate it, you know, so that, so you and I can talk about Anybody that's listening to us, maybe if we can reach one person that said, you know what, I'm going to make a change or I'm going to get more involved or I'm not going to be scared about my dad's cancer or my mom's cancer or my wife's cancer, whatever it is, 
-hmm. I'm going to get involved in life. So for me, what, what energizes me? Prayers. When people say they pray for me, you know, that means so much to me when, when people take the time out of their day to pray. Because I, I pray for about an hour every day. And I pray for people who I've come in contact with who are, who are hurting or people that I know need my help. And, you know, it's, there's not a lot I can do for them, but maybe God can help them out and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. prayer and love are the things that really kind of energize me right now. Uh, absolutely amazing. Um, ladies and gentlemen, with Terry Tucker, you heard the story and the story speaks for itself. Terry is a fighter, a bionic man and a prayer man who's always believed there's always something at the end of the tunnel. And he found it and he's brought it along with us to share in his book. So Terry, I, I, I can honestly say I'm absolutely blessed to have you as a guest. And I'm sure our listeners have gained so much knowledge and benefit from you personally. Uh, I just want to ask you, do you have a website or a, a blog or any social media that people can get in touch with you? I do. I, 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 uh, in 2019, I, I started a blog called Motivational Check. So if you go to motivationalcheck, all one word, dot com, uh, you, can, you can get access to the book through there. Uh, I've got a Twitter account, a Facebook account, a LinkedIn account that you can uh, access through there. You can send me a note, a message. Um, if you want to send me an email, it's motivationalcheck at AOL.com. And, and I do my very best to answer every email that people send me. And, and, and you know, I, sometimes I say things that make people uncomfortable, but I think sometimes maybe you need to say things that make people uncomfortable on that. And, but I do it in a sense of love and in a sense of, you know what, stop feeling sorry for yourself, get out there and, and live your life. And uh, so yeah, motivationalcheck.com. Absolutely. Now, going back to your book, is your book on Amazon? Yeah, the book is on Amazon. It's on barnesandnoble.com. It's on Apple iBooks. It's, it's pretty much on every place that you can get, get a book online. You can get it also. Right. Well, fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, um, what an honor to have Terry Tucker with us. And Terry, I want to say thank you for coming with me and thank you for being a wonderful guest. And thank you for the great insight, the whole scenario of what we can learn from that. So Terry, thank you so much indeed for being a guest and we wish you all the best in the future and for another book we'll be looking out for, if that's possible. That would be great, Trevor. You're welcome and I really appreciate having the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Terry. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next on the next episode. Take care and don't forget, yes, you can. <laughs>